Hey, everybody, you are listening to episode two of the Aspiring to the Median podcast, where we talk about managing money in light of the gospel. You've probably heard plenty of pastors talk about what the Bible says about money. Well, today we're going to be looking at gospel-centered finance from the perspective of a professional financial planner. Let's get started. guys, welcome to the show. I'm your host, Keelan Hobelman, and I'm here with my co-host and brother, Cody. I'm especially excited about today's episode because we're going to be getting a deep look into Cody's story. As you may already know, as a financial planner, Cody manages other people's money for a living, so he brings a unique perspective to the conversation about how God calls us to handle our finances. And we'll get to his story in just a minute. Before we get started, I just wanted to remind you guys that everything we do here at Aspiring to the Median is 100% free and always will be. If you're getting a lot out of the Aspiring to the Median podcast and want to help us get the message to others, the best thing you can do for us is to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you're the first to know when new episodes come out. And with that, let's get started. All right, Cody. Well, I'm excited to hear a little bit more of your story and you know some of your thoughts about how you've gotten to where you are. So why don't you go ahead and just kick us off with a little bit of background. Yeah, I think my interactions with money and finances really started in college. Uh, I went to University of Maryland, and when I started attending classes, obviously you pick your major, and I picked pre-med because I wanted to earn as much money as I possibly could, and that sounded prestigious, and I knew that doctors made a lot of money, so uh, I went into day one thinking, you know, I'm going to be Dr. Hobelman some, at some point down the road. And uh, it wasn't long before it was overwhelmingly evident that that was not going to happen. My grades suffered and I hated going to class. And I realized I needed to change course. So it was actually later that year in the spring, I had joined a fraternity and I went during spring break to uh, leadership conference and met a bunch of business owners mostly. And that really got my interest going in business. It was a lot about relationships and who you knew, uh, not just what you knew. And I thought I could do well and make a lot of money doing something in business. So coming back from that trip, I made up my mind, I'm going to apply for the business school. But what actually happened, because my grades suffered so much from my year studying biology and chemistry, I didn't have the grades to now get into the business school. So I went with the next best thing I could find. I picked up economics as my major because they didn't have an application, and I could still graduate in four years. So that's the path I took. I graduated with an economics degree and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I wasn't terribly interested in economics. I was just very interested in putting myself in a position to make as much money as possible. But it wasn't long after I graduated that I realized some of my friends were making significantly more money than I was. And I felt 
like I might have make, made a mistake somewhere along the way in the decisions I made throughout college, but uh, I ended up working for a bank and I rotated through different departments within the bank and I kind of landed within the wealth management department for a company called Wilmington Trust. And my role specifically was to make financial plans. So during that rotational program, there were 100 students mostly right out of undergrad who all were making the same amount of money and focused on something that had to do with banking. So it was a very interesting position to be in comparing myself to so-and-so from this school and so-and-so from that school. Some were Ivy League schools, and I felt like if I can hang with, with these people, then maybe that'll make up for some of my lack of focus and direction in college. But ultimately, after a year in this program, I landed in my position, and I got like a 5% pay bump. And I thought, it's going to be a really long time before I'm wealthy at this rate, and I might have to figure out how to accelerate this path a little bit. And around that time, a couple things started to change. I had started attending church again, which you know because you actually recommended the church to me, and that started to take an increasingly larger role in my life in the way that I viewed the world. At the same time, my cousin, who ran into me at a networking event, realized that I was in the industry and started asking if I would be interested in coming to work with him at a small financial advisory practice. And initially, I was somewhat dismissive because I had already laid out this plan of climbing the corporate ladder, making it as high as I could in middle or upper management, and that was my career path. But as I went through it that second year and started to form a, a better picture of what things were actually like inside a big company, I started to consider my cousin's offer a little more. And by the end of that year, I actually left the bank and started working with him doing uh, investment management. And that was a pretty big change in and of itself. What year was that in? So that would have been, I graduated in 2015. So it would have been in early 2017. I quit the bank and I went to work for Hunter at Northwestern Mutual. And that actually was the same year that I started tithing. And that was kind of an interesting decision. And it aligned with the way that I actually decided to veer off of my career path as well. Uh, that was actually at the end of 2016 at my church. There was a series about money and finances, and it culminated in an opportunity for everyone in the congregation to formally commit to tithing throughout 2017. And for me, that was a big jump. I, for the last couple years, had been saving as much as I possibly could in retirement accounts, and I had been working my personal expenses down to a more reasonable level. But I hadn't really considered generosity as part of my financial game plan to that point. So when I was faced with 
whether or not I wanted to sign off on this commitment card to tithe throughout 2017, I actually called you, as I'm sure you'll remember, and we talked through it. And I said, well, I work with investments. I work with money. I feel that I have the resources and the know-how to invest that money instead. If I took 10% of my salary, stuck it in a separate account, and called it you know, money for God or whatever – and invested it for the rest of my career, couldn't I give away like a huge amount of money later on? And I believe you said something to the tune of, yeah, you could do that, but would you? And that really hit home for me. It was not so much about the dollars. It was about the the sacrifice that you're making and the heart behind it. It's why you're doing it, not specifically the dollars. And that really brought to mind as I was studying the Bible more, it, the verse about the woman who gave two pennies and that was all she had and all the, the rich people were giving lavish gifts and tithes and all this kind of stuff. And Jesus said, you know, this woman is the example of generosity. And that really drove the point home for me. And I was forced to look into it. What does the Bible say about money? What does it say about how you should manage money? So I think that conversation opened the door for me to be very comfortable talking to you about money and about what Jesus has to say about money and what the Bible has to say about money. So leading up until this point, kind of when you were talking about starting to tithe, before that, what was your perception of tithing and generosity or any combination of those? Generosity felt like a goal for someday. When I take care of myself, when I take care of my family, and Steph and I have been dating for about six or seven years at that time, I felt like we're going to have a wedding coming up. We're going to have all kinds of expenses. I'd like to get a house. I'd like to check some of the boxes financially. And then once you have your feet under you, you can start to look up and take care of some people around you or uh, whatever generosity looked like to me at that time. It just wasn't a broad view and it wasn't really on my mind at all, if I'm being honest. But uh, Steph did think about opportunities to help people kind of all the time, but neither of us really had much money to do anything about it. So it was more of just a, oh, wouldn't it be nice if we could help so-and-so? And I'd say, yeah, that'd be nice. But you know, we really can't afford that. So I had to shift my perspective from what does it mean to be able to afford to be generous? And if you don't start being generous in your heart, how could you ever start being generous with your money? And that was the lesson that I learned that year. And starting to tithe demonstrated it in a way that I don't think anything else could because I made a commitment I saw it through, and I was forced to deal with everything that came after that. So initially, it was almost painful to watch that that amount of money. It wasn't a huge amount of money, but to me, it was 10% of what I had coming in. So I watched that those dollars leave the bank account every week or however I set up. And uh, within a couple months, I realized I'm doing fine. This hasn't really impacted my life nearly as much as I thought it might. And uh, I can manage this. I could do this 
for the rest of my working life. And it really, that would be okay. And I'm comfortable being someone who's signed up to tithe as long as I have income. But that's where it stopped. And I actually had a conversation with someone at my church that stuck out to me because uh, within churches, as I'm sure you've experienced, people will ask you to support them in some kind of work, not infrequently. It's, it feels like a couple times a year, someone will say, hey, I'm doing this and such. And it's always a good cause. And you always feel like you make that decision. And should I support this? And you, know, you don't have enough money set aside. And how do you make those decisions time and time again? And how will it affect the relationship with that person who's asking me? But uh, I actually talked to someone at my church who said something to the tune of, well, if you just tithe, then you're, you're good. You've covered your generosity part of your budget. And that gives you a way to guilt-free turn down anything else that, that's asking you for money. Anyone else who's asking you for additional money, you can say, well, I've chosen to support my church in this way. And that's how I allocate my, my giving. So I was very happy with that because it felt like a guilt-free way out of making further commitments. I made my commitment by signing that card back in the end of 2016. And that was my get out of jail free card for, for giving. Mm -hmm. But uh, I don't think Steph saw it that way. I don't think she agreed with my concept of generosity because it was so important for her to support people that she loved, people that were close to her in a more direct way. So she was giving money away left and right, it seemed, compared to what I was doing. And I had to think about, you know, what am I doing? And, you know, well, I've checked my box, so I don't have to feel bad about it. But, you know, she's supporting so-and-so and I didn't. And that's our friend. And how does that make me look? And I had to really think through a lot of these things as far as, you know, I'm talking 50 bucks here, 25 bucks there, but it just wasn't even in my mind at the time. So it sounds like tithing and your introduction to tithing had a pretty big impact and was a significant turning point for you in a lot of ways. I know that people kind of land all over the place when it comes to tithing. Did you just jump right in at 10% or did you have some way to ease into it? Well, it's interesting. And I will start with retirement savings when I answer this question and then compare it to tithing. With retirement savings, I had a goal of being able to contribute the maximum amount to my 401k, which at the time was, I think, like $18,000. And that was far more than I could afford to contribute. But it seemed like I ought to do the most that I can to put myself in the best position for retirement. So I started with uh, a little more than what I needed to get the company match, which ended up being like 7%. And I said, each year, I'm going to reevaluate and set aside a little bit more as I make a little bit more. And I'm going to work my way up to contributing the max. And then that's just going to be, that's going to be my new normal. I'm going to live without that retirement savings. And that's not how I approach tithing, which is really interesting to me because the, the wading into retirement savings model worked really well for me. I got gradually used to living on a little bit less each year, but with tithing, 
I don't really know what was so different about it, but it felt like it, it wasn't such a financial decision as it was an obedience decision. I, I was deciding to obey what I understood the Bible to say about tithing. It was just, I'm either tithing or I'm not tithing. It wasn't, I'm half tithing or whatever. So I signed the card, said I'm going to tithe in 2017. And to me, that meant 10%. So I started, it was an easy calculation. You take your income, divide it by 10, and there's your tithe. So that amount started leaving my account in January 2017, and I just never looked back. So it was a little more of a jarring transition financially, but I don't regret it. And if I had to do it again, I think I would take the same path. And interestingly enough, it set me up for another financial generosity decision a lot sooner than I expected. Our church was in the process of expanding. So they started meeting in a movie theater and then they graduated to like a warehouse space that was rented and then launched a second campus out of high school. And then ultimately we're trying to buy a building which costs millions of dollars to fix up and renovate and prepare and turn into a church. So that, as as you can probably anticipate, led to a capital campaign where the church was saying, hey, we need some more money on top of the tithes. The tithes help the church run. We need a lot more than that for the sake of expansion. And there was a capital campaign, I think it was the next year. And it was a challenge to, to, there was almost a sense of how much can I sacrifice for the greater good of getting more people in the doors here because I was experiencing all the benefits of being part of a church community and really taking ownership over my own faith. And I grew an incredible amount in those first few years after college by being part of that community. And I felt this sense of, I need to pay it forward. I need to give back and I need to do whatever I can to make sure that other people have access to this. So I came up with a, with a number in my head and within a couple of weeks I said, that's just too easy. That's not going to cut it. And I doubled it and I checked with Steph to make sure she was okay with that. And it was a little bit of a discussion, but uh, ultimately I committed to giving over a two year period more than I really expected to and more than I thought I would be able to. And I don't think that happens without me committing to tithe the previous year and getting some experience with using some percentage of my money for some purpose other than funding my lifestyle. So interestingly enough, I was actually able to pay down that commitment sooner than I even expected to. And I was really proud of that. But what happened as a result is I became very interested in what was being done with all that money that was raised because I was finally participating uh, when you're sitting on the sidelines and you're kind of enjoying the benefit, that's a, a nice period. But I really wanted to be part of the inner workings of the church. And I had visions of one day becoming a pastor and launching my own church. But I was too, I was too scared to give up what I had in my career to start over. So uh, it felt like the next best thing I could do was financially support 
my church. And so I started going through the financial statements, uh, any, any that I could find online. And when they passed them out at the beginning of the next year, I read every number, every word on there. And what, what happened is I was now really participating in parts of the church that I never thought about before. And again, that all happened because in a small way, I was part of it. Yeah, well, actually, in a big way. I mean, you were, it sounds like you were sacrificing quite a bit personally through tithe, whether or not you see that as a sacrifice, but also through this additional capital campaign that you were a part of. And I think that's a significant point that you bring up about how when you are financially invested in something, inherently it means a lot to you. I mean, I think that's straight out of the Bible, where your where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Uh, right, and exactly. I mean, you're just living that out in person. So what happened next? Well, like I said before, during that time, I was transitioning into a new role at a new company, and my income didn't really change a whole lot initially. But over the next couple of years, it started to increase more rapidly than I anticipated. And that finally gave me some opportunities to, quote unquote, check off the boxes, like I said before. And Steph and I got married in 2018, and we bought a house in 2019. But throughout this time, you and I were having a lot of discussions, actually, that would last for hours about what does the Bible say about personal finance? What does that mean for us? What are you doing about it? What should I be doing about it? And am I going to do that? And I started to really realize how you were viewing the money that was coming through your hands. And we started talking about this manager concept that we talked about last episode, where it's not my money that I'm earning. It's money that God is giving to me to manage. And that realization kind of flips everything on its head. And it didn't take all, all that long for, it, for that concept to really hit home for me because that's what I do for a living. I manage other people's money and charge a fee, and that's where my income comes from. We manage a bunch of people's money, and collectively the fee that we take is enough to pay for our expenses and our income. So that just kind of made sense to me that I can change my perspective. I was perfectly happy accepting that everything belongs to God. But then you think about your own stuff and you're like, well, that's my stuff. But then you read the Bible and it's, oh, it's none of it's mine. I don't have really any material possessions without God. He, he provides that to me. So that set the foundation for us to get into some much more interesting and deeper conversations and topics as far as personal financial management goes. Yeah, I think that manager idea is something that really helped me early on to really kind of frame my thinking as well. And I've seen that happen for many people when they kind of come to that realization that all wealth and money belongs to God, and we're just each managing a small portion of it then it really flips around all your other kind of views on finance. And it's easy working a job like you as a financial planner saying, hey, I I worked hard to get here. I put my time in school. I went through college. I 
put my time in my early job and worked my way up into this position, you know, this money is mine. But when you really keep rewinding that back farther and farther, you know, how did you get into uh, the college you went to? Well, you had a strong primary education. And why did you have a strong primary education? Well, you were in a good area. You had a family that supported you in your education, et cetera, two parents with college degrees, and you were just surrounded by people who were doing that. And so how did you end up there? Well, at some point you take it back, God just puts you in the family he puts you in. And obviously the same for me. And we didn't choose any of that, you know? And so no matter how much we try to claim that what we have is from our own work and our own hard effort, you can always take it a couple steps back and, and see that it really could have ended so much differently with just a couple quick tweaks early on. So once you started thinking about some of these, this manager concept, where did things go from there? Well, I was aware of this concept, but it hadn't started to heavily influence every decision I made financially yet. I still felt like I checked my tithing box and I was good to go, but I was forced to consider some of the things that you were doing and you would tell me about some of the causes you were supporting and I thought, that's a really cool thing for someday, but I've still got a couple more boxes to check. And so 2019, we bought a house kind of hastily. I, we found the house on Zillow or something, and like within four days, we had already put in an offer and it was accepted, and we jumped right in. And Steph and I were so proud to be homeowners, but I felt like within a couple months, I was starting to scheme about how to buy another house and then rent out the first house. And we know people who've done that. And that seemed like a very attainable path for me to get really, really wealthy. And we just had to move every year or two years and just keep accumulating real estate properties. And boom, we're, we're all of a sudden real estate investors on the side, in addition to our normal incomes. And, you know, I didn't, I, I wasn't feeling guilty about that because we're still given 10%. So 10% of a whole lot of money is even better than 10% of a small amount of money. So I still had this loophole mindset, but we got closer and closer to the point where my mind started to change about these things. And in the beginning of 2020, things got very strange. And suddenly we had free time for the first time in what felt like years. And so you and I started to talk pretty much every day for what felt like hours. And I started to get a much, much deeper look at how you see money and how I could relate to that. So we started having conversations about specific scripture and compiling material and trying to understand what to do with it. We built the website and we were so excited to tell everyone about it, but I still felt like this was your project that you're letting me consult on. And I didn't understand what that meant for me. And, oh crap, am I committing to something? And I I better talk to Steph a little more so she doesn't think I'm going off the deep end with something radical here. But the more we talked, the more it felt like and seemed like 
just a very natural way to go through life if you're a Christian. It wasn't counter to what the Bible said, and it wasn't even radical when you really looked at it. It's just living a little closer to the way that I think Jesus calls us to live. But when you get into that realm of, well, <laughs> why does Jesus need my money? Like, I'll give him I'll give him my time, I'll give him my energy, I'll give him my strength, but why does he need my money? I already give 10% to the church and you know, the church does with it what it will. But on top of that, really? Uh so I was stuck in that mindset a little bit and I didn't un- I didn't know where it was going to take me, but I knew I was very interested in the conversations, the ongoing conversation that we were having. Just real quick for anybody who's just joining us in on this episode for the first time. Uh, the the basic idea behind that is with that foundation of God owns everything, he's tasked each of us as as a manager over whatever portion he's given us to look after. Once you look at yourself as a manager, you need to determine basically what are your operational costs? How much does it cost to run you and your family? And so once you know what your operational costs are, you can take all of whatever income and money God puts into your life, take out how much you need to live on, and use the rest to actually invest in the things that are on God's heart. You know, serving your neighborhood, your city, serving the poor and the suffering, and, and supporting missions, you know, completing the great commission of bringing the gospel to the whole world. And the basic idea behind Aspiring to the Median and and all over the Aspiring to the Median website is in order to help determine what those operational expenses are, you can look at what the rest of the country is doing and distill down the whole country to a hundred families. And you can figure out how much you spend compared to a hundred other families of the same size as yours. And so when you look at your income, and you look at these other 100 families, you might say, out of 100 families in the U.S., uh, my, me and my family spend more than you know, 70 of them, which would put you on the wealthy side of things. Or maybe we spend more than 25 of them, uh, and that would put you on the lower half of things. Or maybe we spend more than 50 of them, putting you right in the middle. And you can figure out where you land on that spectrum, and then... From there, you can figure out, based on all that information, what's a reasonable level for me to be at. And so you might say that's 50 right in the middle. Or you might say where I live is a super expensive area to live in the country, and so maybe that limit's higher. Maybe it's the, you know, the 60th family or the 40th family or whatever it is. And uh, it just gives you a kind of a way to benchmark how much you and your family should reasonably need to live on. And just a real quick plug for the calculator on the website, aspiringtothemedian.com slash calculator. You can go through all of this information, plug in your family size, your income, and it'll tell you right where you stand on that spectrum and help you kind of figure out what different levels would look like if you were to commit to living like the 55th family or the 40th family or whatever it is. And so I encourage you to take a look and play around with that. Anyway, so you were starting to play around with the idea of what that would look like for for your life then, I guess. 
Right. And to give a little more perspective, at the time, earlier this year, Steph was working part-time. She's a teacher, and she was in the middle of her graduate school program. So we understood that as soon as she was able to, she was going to go full-time, and we were going to make quite a bit more money than we were making at the time back in February and March. I also felt that at some point my income was going to continue to increase. So we were going to have more income toward the end of 2020 than we did in the beginning of 2020. And at the beginning of the year, we were feeling a little bit stretched financially. We felt that we were getting by, but we didn't have enough to afford the things that kind of allowed us to have a sustainable and somewhat comfortable lifestyle. So what we did at the time is we played around with the calculator quite a bit. And Steph and I discussed for quite a while, where would be an appropriate place to fall on that percentile range? And we came up with a number and we said, let's try this for six months, understanding that at some point she's going to go full time and we're going to be above that limit. But for the time, we were below the limit. And you might think that that's just completely arbitrary to pick a limit that's higher than your current income, but it allowed us to start participating. Just like signing that card that got me to start tithing, and just like committing to the capital campaign, I now was officially a participant, and I could experience the the mindset shift that came from that decision to participate. I love the fact that you guys picked a limit that was higher than what you were making at the time, knowing that you guys were living pretty tight at the time for considering everything. Because I think that's super helpful for probably a lot of people listening right now who feel like as they listen to all this and have looked at maybe some of the stuff on the website or maybe even started to go through the impact program, feeling like by picking a limit for their spending, they inherently have to make a big cut to whatever their spending is at the time. And that's, that is not the core purpose. I think maybe that makes sense for some people, but the important thing, which is exactly what you're saying is, is knowing that out there somewhere, there is a limit where you can say, I have enough money for myself and my family and anything else that God gives me, I don't need for myself. And for where you guys were in life and all of all of your situation, that number was more than what you guys made. And I think that that's completely reasonable and will be the case for probably a fair number of people. And for others, that number might be quite a bit less than what they make. And so anyway, go ahead. Right. So uh, I said we committed to a percentile that we chose together for a period of six months. And then if we had to make adjustments after six months, let's go ahead and do that. But I couldn't have anticipated all of the things that changed in the way that I thought. And later that day, after going on the website and clicking commit, because I needed that official starting point, that day one of I'm in percentile living. Even though I haven't given a dollar away, I'm part of it. I'm a participant. Uh, Steph said, well, how about your plan to be a real estate investor? How are you going to do that if you give away all the money that we make? And 
in the moment, I remember thinking, well, I guess if I can make it happen, then great. But if I don't, that's not the worst thing in the world. We'll make enough and we'll live on a reasonable amount. And that's what's really important. So I had to reframe some of my goals that were just really derived out of pure competition. I just wanted to be wealthy. I wanted to be wealthier than other people. And it it was a never ending cycle. It was, it was a game that you're stuck in for for the rest of your life and there's no end and there's no winners and there's no losers. It's just, you fall somewhere on the map and looking back on how I used to think about what a reasonable life goal should be financially. It just was a big gray area. And I think that might be the case for a lot of people. There's just no tangible way to say, I've made enough money or or my net worth is finally high enough. I, I don't know that many people get to that point based on all the clients that I've ever worked with. It just is a game of gather as much as you can so that you can enjoy retirement as much as you can. Yeah, I, I mean, that's all over the Bible, too. The entire book of Ecclesiastes is written by Solomon, who was, you know, one of the wealthiest people in the world at the time. And the whole book is just him trying to beg other people to understand that there is no point where it finally feels sufficient, like you have finally made it, you know. And and I think we see that in all kinds of ways in popular culture, too, through people who are massively successful at business or through celebrities at the at the peak of culture and you just see stories over and over of people in those places talking about how they're still not satisfied. And I think that comes a lot to the core of the whole aspiring to the median movement, which is saying I am choosing to be satisfied at a point somewhere and just working to figure out where that point is exactly. Right. And I think you can, convince yourself that you're different and if you had that much money you would handle it differently because xyz but for where i was with steph at the beginning of this year talking to you i felt that i didn't need to go and try to be that wealthy to take the bible's word for it i was willing just like many many other things in the bible that i said well even though this doesn't quite make sense to me or even though this is a little bit hard for me to believe right now, I'm going to, I'm going to go with it and I'm going to try my best to understand it for the rest of my life. But I need to, I need to obey here. And money is just one of those things. It just happens to be one of the more personal and tricky things. But I decided obedience has to be the way for me as a Christian. And what, what actually happened is maybe four months later, Steph was able to go full time as a teacher and her her salary more than tripled and I actually got a raise that same month and we had a big jump in the amount of income that we had and that gave us all kinds of opportunities to discuss what are we going to do with this extra cash flow and to me I felt like I had committed to something and that mattered and I had to I had to hold true to that commitment so we looked at our budget and we imagined what it would look like if we could allocate all of it 
the way we wanted to and compared it again to where we are in the percentile calculator just to get a benchmark for where we're landing now. And it led to a bunch of really interesting conversations. And what we ultimately decided to do was try to get rid of debt as fast as possible. Everything except for our mortgage. We want it gone because we have to make payments on that debt. And as long as that debt is there hanging over our heads for stuff that we already bought, it's going to prevent us from living as generously as we want to. And so I saw that car loan and those student loans as standing in between me and the person that I really wanted to be. And that was a problem. So we've set out a really aggressive debt pay down schedule and the way things are going sometime next year, we are set to be completely debt free and that will just open up a whole new set of opportunities. And I cannot wait. Whereas my former plan was to make the minimum payments and stretch this debt out as long as possible and invest the difference because as a investment guy, I can definitely beat 3% over the long term. So that's clearly the best decision because I'll end up with more money in the end. So that's just one example of a mental shift that was, that happened as a result of participating and taking that first step. So just to make sure I have the story straight, when you initially chose your limit, your finish line, your cutoff, whatever you want to call it, the limit was more than what you guys were making, but you knew you you had some income bumps coming down the line. And then a couple months later, you both had some income jumps that actually put you over that limit and you had a discussion to kind of sort out what are we going to do with this excess that's over the commitment that we made. And right. you guys knew you had all of these various debts hanging over your head. And so while you had been planning on basically spreading those out over a long period of time, your shift changed to try to pay those down as fast as possible. And so even though you wanted to be starting to give and use that excess for other things that were on your heart, you guys came to the decision that it made the most sense to rapidly pay down all of that debt so that you could start giving that money away freely once that debt was paid down. Right. And we, we still tithe and we do actually support a few causes that we include as part of our budget. So it's some combination of we've determined how much we need to spend on ourselves to be comfortable at least this year. And we're, we're still feeling like it's a bit of a trial period, but so far so good. And then we continue to tie that of obedience and give out of, well, if I'm being honest, Steph's desire to help people uh, that I'm, I'm learning to also have. Uh, and then we also pay down our debt at a very accelerated pace because it's interfering with our ability to be generous. It's really interesting that between the two of you, Steph has a very natural heart for generosity and ideas just immediately come to mind for her when she sees needs, especially for people that she's connected to, like you were describing. And then you on the analytical side, 
are back there go, combing through all of your finances and you know looking at things from the bigger picture. How have you guys kind of worked together through all of this? And how has God used each of you to kind of stretch each other and, and build each other up? I think that can be demonstrated with one story where we did get our pay bumps and we were now above our limit that we set and we were going to see how, how everything worked out. And I said, Steph, we've got excess. And we can start to give money away. And we can we can finally get rid of these debts that have just been with us for years. And uh, I'm so excited. We got to this point where the numbers worked out and we have excess. And she said, well, what are we going to give it to? And I said, oh, I don't know. We'll just, we'll just figure it out as we go. And she said, no, like, what are we supporting how are we using this money that matters so much and i realized i'd never thought about it i was just so (laughs) excited to make the numbers work i hadn't ever considered the impact that those dollars can have so it it just brought up all kinds of great conversations and i said steph i'm gonna need your help here i can make the numbers work time and time and time again but I need you to use that heart of yours to find those opportunities and make sure that we're always supporting those, those people that need help. So I think the teamwork there has been really, really important because Steph could care less about balancing the budget and, and I do it almost daily. (laughs) I track everything. I make sure the right amounts go into retirement. I make sure you know, uh, negotiate the cable bill when I need to. And uh, there's something about that that clicks for me. And for her, it's just, (laughs) (laughs) but for her, it's just, uh, it's just hardwired into her heart to have that sense of empathy and sympathy for people who are in need. And if we are equipped to help those people, then I believe we should. And uh, that's what's so exciting to be able to participate in that and just do it. One of the things that I find very interesting about that story is that you dove headfirst into all of this, you know, making big decisions for your life, picking a limit and saying whatever God brings into our life, knowing that you guys are you know, have a lot of career left and a lot of potential for income bumps and saying, this is the line that we're going to draw and everything else we're going to set aside and use for something bigger than us. And you made all of that decision without having any tangible cause or organization or purpose or person or whatever that you actually wanted to give to it. And I that has got to be super rare for somebody to decide that they, they want to suddenly be extremely generous without having any idea what they're going to be generous to. And I think a lot of that comes from the fact that generosity and this whole idea of, of defining what enough is in your life actually has way more impact on your own heart than it does on what you're actually giving the money to. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I I absolutely agree with that. And like my earlier example with, uh, you know, once I was participating with the capital campaign, suddenly I was very interested in the new building that was being constructed. And although 
our contribution was a drop in the bucket in the overall project, I felt like because it was a large amount of money to us, uh, I was very invested in how things were going and I was watching for progress updates and I, I understood that participation requires us to do something. It's not just that we can want to be better people someday and eventually it'll happen. It took intentionality and practice to start to have those opportunities show up. They're, they're always there, but now we have trained ourselves and set ourselves up to be looking for them. And I'll get there. Steph was just uh, natural and uh, I'm happy that she's <laughs> on my team, but, uh, I felt like I wasn't going to see the opportunities unless the money was there. If if someone came up to me and they said, hey, I really just need $150 to, to get back home or whatever it is, it, you, know, you can come up with a million examples. And I don't have $150 or I'm not willing to part with $150, then that's going to be an awkward conversation. I'm probably not going to help that person out. But if I had already set it aside and determined that those dollars are going to help someone other than me, then it's not really a decision. You're just, you're, you're just prepared for it. And that has been the most notable shift in our lifestyles. And it's just been a short period of time. So I understood this to be stretched out over an entire career for the next several decades. The impact could be way larger than anything I can possibly imagine sitting here today. Yeah, that's so good. Having that money set aside, I think really sharpens your eyes and your heart to just be in tune with what God is probably showing us all the time. But when you don't have the money ready, separated and earmarked for something bigger than ourselves, then every single time those opportunities are presented to us, it is going to feel like a painful sacrifice to some level. And when that money's already set aside and you've done all of the praying through and thinking through and, and intentionally working through determining how much you really need for yourself, then all of that money is ready to take action. And so when God provides the opportunities, you are ready to go. And I've seen that in Allie in my life as well, uh, many times over where if we did not have the money ready, I would have been completely blind to ways that we were able to take action. And so 100% agree on that. So as we're getting towards the end here, why don't you tell us kind of what you're excited for down the line in the next five or 10 years? Well, I think another change in my life that I'm going to experience in a big way for the rest of my career is the way that I see work and the incentive system around taking on projects or clients or really anything I do for money. And there was a time there where I was thinking, well, being an Uber driver, I could do that on the weekends and pick up some extra cash and stuff, you know, babysits occasionally. And when she's not teaching, she has the summers off and she's a swim coach. And we have these different forms of income. And at a certain point, if you're giving away money, then would you spend your Saturday nights trying to earn more money 
to then give it away? Well, you might, but you might not. And it's something to think about. So in the way that I can choose which path I want in my career, I don't feel beholden to the path that's going to lead to the highest income any longer. I feel that I should pursue the things that I enjoy, the things that I'm good at, and the things that help people the most, which is really what I set out to do when I was too young and dumb to know any better in high school and early college. I said, hey, as long as I'm helping people, I'll do whatever I can for money. And now I feel like I can kind of get back to that. So when I'm setting goals for the next five or 10 years, it's not so much oriented around a dollar figure of how much I want to make at this age or how much I want to have saved at this age. I'd really much rather be able to look back and reflect on the impact that we've been able to have. And I'm really excited to get into your story a little more next week. Yep. And we will get there. (laughs) So before we close up for the day, I just wanted to introduce our manager minute for the day. So this is a short, quick segment we want to start doing each week where we basically give you guys ideas for what you can do with the excess. We talk every week about choosing a limit and then dedicating all that excess to be used for something bigger than yourself and your family. And so what should you use that for? And so here's your manager minute for today. It's something my wife likes to call her Grubhub ministry. So if you haven't heard of Grubhub, it's one of those online websites that's connected to a whole bunch of restaurants and food vendors, and they offer gift cards that you can send to people. And so what my wife loves to do is for when she knows somebody has a new baby or is going through a hard time, maybe lost a loved one, has somebody in the hospital, something like that, she will send them a Grubhub gift card enough to cover a meal or two and just let them uh, order out for the night to give them a day to relax and take some of the load off their shoulders. And it's easy to do, especially when we already have all the money set aside. And it seems like every week there's a new person who she is excited to be able to support in that way. So there's your manager minute for this week. Thanks so much for listening, guys. If you are looking for any references in today's podcast, you can find them in our show notes at aspiringtothemedian.com slash episode two. Thanks again for joining us. And that's it for today. So we will see you next time. Mm -hmm.